Welcome to the Sword and Staff. I'm one of your hosts, Josh Robinson, and joining me today, as always, is my co-host. Richie Brock. And on the second take of second this take. <laughs> second take of this Genwag edition of the Sword and Staff. Um, it's been so long since we have done a proper Chinwag. Right. It, we last month we did uh, where we would typically would have done Chinwags. We did a couple interviews with Ward Heine from Dark Holler. We did the one with the on the episode of Dark Holler, and then we did one on our Point Pleasant trip. So it's been a month since we've done a proper Chinwag. The last one we did was on Hope, and uh, today we're going to kind of get back into the swing of things. And on today's Chinwag edition. We're going to be discussing um, window areas and John Keel and some of our theories on window areas, which we've talked about that a little bit in some of the episodes that we've done so far. I think that we probably mentioned it on the Dark Holler episode that we did. We for sure mentioned it on the Point Pleasant episode that we did. Yeah. We may have mentioned it somewhere at some point on Patreon. I can't remember at this point. It's hard for me to remember anything that we released. It's like it seems like those are two different worlds to me. So I, I lose track of what we'd release on Patreon um, and what we don't. But anyway, uh, we're going to be talking about window areas today. And so we're going to release it to where we can kind of give our thoughts to everybody on that. And then after that, we're going to be discussing approaching the paranormal um, from a Christian perspective and the way that we do things, which is different than how other people do things, right? Um, right. We're probably also going to talk about how the paranormal world is mostly being approached right now from people who are <clears throat> non-Christian, but not just non-Christian, but perhaps even anti-Christian oh, as yeah. well. Um, so we're going to talk about that. And then at the closing of today's Chinwag, we're going to be discussing our plans for 2022. I can't believe that we're knocking on the door of 2022 already. I know. Man. Seems just like yesterday it was 2020. Yeah. Um, but we're going to talk about some of the exciting plans we have in store for 2022. And, uh, yeah, should be an exciting Chinwag edition. So, um, but bef first, before we do any of that, we need to take some time to reflect on October and Spooky Month. Because we released a lot of content we did. in October. We even charted on iTunes in multiple countries in October. Like, I don't know if people know that, but... We charted in the U.S., we charted in Australia, and we charted multiple times in Mexico. So much love to all, all of you sword and staffers out there who got us in the iTunes charts. That's amazing. I ne I'll be honest with you. I never would have imagined a year ago when we started this podcast that we would be on the iTunes charts by the right. end of the year. I mean, uh we just thought it was going to be something fun just between you and me, yeah. honestly. Yeah, we, we started off at the beginning of the year like saying, if people listen in, that's cool. Yeah. But mostly it's just going to be conversations between us, and it's going to be conversations that we enjoy having. having. Right, yeah. And, but, man, you guys have showed up and showed out. Like, we, we charted in the top, I think it was 150 in America in history. We charted in, like, the top 50 at one point in Mexico in history, which is insane to me because I went through the chart and was looking at it and it's like all like Spanish podcasts and then boom, right there yeah, at the top there's 50. Sword and Staff. The Sword and Staff, which is mind-blowing to me. And then we also charted in the top, I think, 250 or 150 in Australia. So uh, that's just, thank you guys. That's all that I can say. Thank you guys so much for listening. We're glad that you enjoy listening to these episodes and conversations that we're having 
as much as we enjoy them. And so, yeah, we that wouldn't have been a thing without you guys. So thank you guys so much. Definitely. Um, so to get us into our reflections about October and Spooky Month, was there anything that stood out to you about October? Um, anything that you want to reflect on and address or anything you'd like to clarify about October? Because we released a ton of content. We released the two episodes with Ward Heine, one on Dark Holler, one on Point Pleasant. We released two episodes on the Underworld, which like were majorly listened to. Uh, like I had people messaging me telling me they're like after the first one come out they're like I need part two of this series. Like people were really uh, learned a lot. People really learned a lot. It seemed like with that series, and then we released the episode on is Halloween pagan going on like at midnight going into Halloween, and that was really well listened to as well. So anything yeah. that anything you want to reflect on? Um, no clarifications. I think uh, every episode we took on we made some pretty strong points and everything was really clear but i mean some of the things that kind of caught me off surprise and kind of got on my nerves a little bit if i'm honest was the sort of the backlash we got from the is halloween pagan episode yeah at first whenever we did the first cut of this i was like oh we didn't really get that much backlash but now that after you brought up like oh, we did get a little we more did. backlash than i thought we did yeah that was it was kind of funny um but, you know, I, I guess it's to be expected in some ways whenever you have people who are just probably haven't really thought about these things at a deep level and, um, you know, have really been steered by, you know, fundamentalist teachings on, you know, this type of stuff. And, you know, so it, to me it's not that shocking or that surprising. Right. But um, I'm really glad that we were able to get some content out there on this and to approach it from the angle that we did because I, I did receive text messages even from people in my own church that, that I pastor who was telling me how helpful that episode was and how it really, like I even had pastors of other churches like take the article that I wrote and write their own articles based on what I wrote and also had pastors send me text messages saying, you know, how helpful uh, what we said was to them. So I, I, I'm all in all, I couldn't be real. I couldn't be happier about the content that we released in October. I felt like that it was helpful. I even learned some stuff myself. So anyway, so that's October. And so that'll take us into our main section, which is window areas. And just a heads up, Richie crafted today's episode. So if it's all over the place <clears throat> and chaotic, you know why? Because <laughs> definitely not my strong suit. I'm there's not a practical bone in my body, so this is just going. We don't know how this is going to go. I have no, I have no notes in front of me. I have a notepad in front of me to take notes on, so that I can stop Richie and ask questions for clarification. But really, a lot of this is mostly his world um, because it's dealing with the paranormal. Um, now, I'm going to, ha you know, have things to say about some of this too. It, you know, as a as a thinker and as a pastor and, and that kind of thing. But but the first segment we're going to talk about window areas. So we've talked about window areas before. Okay, we talked about them, like I said earlier, in the probably in the Dark Holler episode, I can't remember, but for sure in the Point Pleasant episode. So, to start us off, let's give a definition about what a window area is. What would you say a window area is? I mean, the term window area first comes up in the work of John Keel. Okay. And, and he, who is John Keel? John Keel is a journalist, uh, a 40 and a paranormal researcher that sort of... Brought the Mothman case to life in Point Pleasant. Yeah, so um, we're going to be releasing the video edition of this to our yeah. patrons. 
So um, I actually have the, the book, one of the books by John Keel. Uh, this is probably this is his most popular one. Um, this was a uh, New York's Times bestseller uh, called The Mothman Prophecies, and this is recording the events in Point Pleasant, West Virginia, in the 60s related to the Mothman case and all of the other phenomenon high strangeness that occurred there. Okay, So you're saying that this was coined by John Keel. Okay, John Keel also wrote other books too on ufology, uh, the flying saucer in the center of your mind, um, Disneyland of the gods, an investigation into psychic phenomenon, the outer limits of human perception, um, the book of Mothman, everything you wanted to know about reality distortion that you were afraid to ask, and then uh, strange creatures from time and space, and then our haunted planet. Um it's kind of funny how we both got into John Keel. Yeah. You you got into it because you spent significant time in Point Pleasant. I came across John Keel on on Mike Heiser's recommended le- reading list. <laughs> he Mike Heiser actually recommends John Keel's writings and Jacques Vallée's writings if you're wanting to understand uh the paranormal because Heiser thinks that they he basically like I do. Like they get like 99.9% yeah. of it right. There's Can just I say little, they're not really yeah, coming from the Christian perspective well, he, all the way, but yeah, that's right. He says that in it, like the, in his recommended reading, that neither of them are Christians, but they're really, really close in their explanation of right. the paranormal. But anyway, so that's John Keel. Okay, so he's this journalist. He wrote the Mothman prophecies. He wrote a lot of other books on high strangeness. So what? So what was his theory on window areas? That whole thing. Um, he really comes at it from an angle where he takes into account uh, multiple theories that are out there. I mean, in Mothman Prophecies, he sort of speculates that uh, window areas are tied to uh, an occultic history with the native people in the lands. Mm-hmm. Uh, he entertains uh, sort of tears in what, what you would call, like I guess, the multiverse, yeah. time and space fabric, things like that. Uh, yeah, just different points. So it's kind of like he doesn't necessarily have one theory. He's got multiple different. You can see, especially in books like The Eighth Tower, another book by by Keel. Yeah, he starts out sort of developing a theory early on, and then as he comes to the end of his research, he really kind of ties all of them together with other authors like Valet. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so here's kind of how I understand Keel to be saying how what a window area is. So a window opens and closes. Right. And things come through and go out of the window, right? And so Keel kind of used that as almost like a metaphor for areas where high strangeness occurs, right? So, like, he says that, like, some of these areas are like windows, and things come out in this area. Right. And he thought that Point Pleasant, West Virginia, was a window area because in the 60s there was so much high strangeness happening in that area now some now high strangeness that may be a term that's unfamiliar to listeners as well especially if they're coming from a christian background like we are and have no um no contact with the the paranormal so what exactly is high strangeness um well high strangeness is sort of uh, a definition given to uh paranormal phenomena that is typically above like mm-hmm. natural explanation like ufology things yeah. like that has a supernatural aspect to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's pretty much how I understand it too. And so I, I so you've the way that I've kind of come to understand it is high strangeness is the category for 
that, that something gets applied to it whenever you have in an area multiple types of phenomena. Right. Paranormal type of phenomena, right? So, for example, in Point Pleasant, West Virginia, um, during whenever Kiel was there and investigating and, and recording a lot of – you had a lot of weird phenomena happening yeah. there. Okay? So, and a history of weird phenomena before re- that. Yeah. Yeah. This go, it goes back a long way to Point Pleasant. Um, so, um, but usually high strangeness is whenever you have all of these different streams of strangeness converging. Okay. So you'll have things like UFO, <clears throat> UFO sightings, UFO phenomena. Then you'll also have things like poltergeist, ghost, haunting phenomena. You'll, you could have cryptid sighting phenomena, um, and just all different kinds. Right. And it, you have all of those happening in one place, like things like cattle mutilations and, right. you know, that kind of like stuff. Like strange mental and psychic phenomena, like yep. uh, time loss and yep. false memories. Yep, yep. And so Point Pleasant, West Virginia, uh, this can lead us into a conversation about Point Pleasant being one of the main window areas. Um, but Point Pleasant, West Virginia, in the 60s and even before the 60s, had a lot of this type of phenomenon. And so that's why Kill called it a window area. It was like somebody had suddenly opened the window and things just started coming out of it, right? Right. And there's other places in the world that are window areas as well, seem to be window areas. But Point Pleasant, so what was some of the phenomena that was happening in Point Pleasant, West Virginia? I mean, really, it's uh, the history goes back to reports of creatures and elemental spirits like the Birdman that we later classify as the Mothman. Right. But really, when the first flap in the 60s started out in Point Pleasant, it started with UFO yeah. activity. Right. Okay, so that's how I understand it as well. So I know that there was a huge Native American presence in Point Pleasant, which we've talked about in the Mothman episode. I'm not going to rehash all that. You guys can go back and listen to it. Um, So we had major um, Native American presence in Point Pleasant. We had elemental spirits then, things like that, that would have said to appear, like in the early 1900s even. Um, like you had sightings of the Birdman, and the Birdman uh, is kind of like the Thunderbird, which was worshipped by the Native Americans there, right? Right. So you have sightings of that kind of stuff, then later on it turns into that. But so in the once you hit the sixties, though, you start having all kinds of weird stuff happening, right. right? So you have UFO sightings there, but then beyond the UFO sightings, <clears throat> you also have the Mothman sightings, which start off in the TNT area in Point Pleasant, right? Right. And then beyond that, you start having other stuff. There's, like, weird cattle mutilations happening there. Nobody can explain. Um, there are people who ex- who are experiencing loss of time. Like, like they're driving on the road, and it's, like, you know, midnight. And then it's, like, they look down at the clock, and then all of a sudden it goes from midnight to, like, 4 a.m. Right. Like, and you're missing three hours, and you don't know where they went. Um, there was also reports of um, a type of UFO phenomena uh, with, called Indrid Cold, who was reportedly speaking to people. Uh, the first person that he re- appeared to was a man named Woodrow Derenberger, who was up the road from Point Pleasant on his way to Parkersburg. But it's also related to the phenomena there in Point yeah, Pleasant. Yeah, and multiple well. people had encounters with Indrid Cold that same night. Right. Um, and he was supposedly a UFO. Like, they apparently reported seeing his ship. It goes over the four lane and lands and, yeah. you know, like that whole thing. Euphonaut. Yeah, Euphonaut, right. And then, um, so you've got that happening. And then also you have this weird phenomenon, Point Pleasant, uh, called the Men in Black. And so basically, 
what that was was you had these men who were you know, dressed in black suits, like kind of like the men in black movie, right? But um, they're there, and they're like they're questioning people in the the community and telling them not to talk about like the Mothman and the UFO stuff. And a lot of people seem to think that they were a part of the phenomena themselves. Right. They almost they almost manifest almost like a symptom of the phenomena. Like you have these places where High Strangers just erupts on the scene, and these guys show up as sort of kind of like the damage control, like right. the cleanup crew. Yeah. Um, so you've got that stuff going on, and then you've got massive, crazy power outages, uh, outages at Point Pleasant at that time. Just a ton of weird stuff. People experiencing false memories. Yep, false memories. Uh, what was it you told me? That, that uh, one, of the, one of the major ones was uh, an episode that people call the Phantom Blimp. Mm. I know uh, there was supposed to be a, 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 a blimp that was going to come through the area, and people were supposed to come out with their families and watch as it passed through. I think it was going through. It was supposed to either come from Ohio or it was going to Ohio, but people uh, claimed to turn out. Claimed that they remember the whole city turning out to see the the lights on the blimp and brought their families. But it's a documented fact that the blimp never came through town, and there was actually a change of plans. It never was anywhere near the area, but the whole town remembers experiencing the blimp. Yeah, that's really weird. And wasn't there something like with a Christmas, like there was a Christmas celebration? Like that too, like they were supposed to. I can't remember yeah. if that was it. Yeah. Uh, Christmas celebration and festival that uh, people in the town remember bringing again, bringing their families out to, and recalling details about uh, all the festivities and things. But the Christmas festival never happened. Yeah, yeah. So that's those things that we're talking about there. I think that's what, what actually Kill references when he talks about time distortion. Yeah, right. It's almost in some ways kind of reminds me of the Mandela effect in some ways. Yeah. It's kind of similar, like. I can't remember. There was a big Mandela effect going around here recently. It was a, oh, what was the, I can't remember what it was now, but I know that it had a Sinbad uh, in it. I can't remember what it was called. Ah, uh, I don't know. Anyway, time, yeah. memory loss. Yeah, memory <laughs> loss. There we go. Right. But anyway, so those things that we talked about there, like that's what a, a window, the type of phenomena that you see happening in a yeah, quote Yeah, it's usually phenomena area. that's outside of what's considered normal if you can call paranormal activity normal, the normal confines of paranormal phenomena, like outside the general hauntings and UFOs, yeah, that sort of stream. Yeah, yep. So that's, okay, so we started this off by talking about Point Pleasant, West Virginia, okay, and kind of using it as a device to uh, define window area and high strangeness, right? But there are other places out there other than that that also have high strangeness and seem to be considered as window areas as well. And I'll go ahead and lead us in on this one because this is the other one that I know a little bit about. Yeah, Josh has literally been on the heels of Skinwalker Ranch for a while now. Yeah, yeah. so Skinwalker Ranch is also considered to be a window area. And it has a lot of the same type of phenomena that, that Point Pleasant, West Virginia has. So Skinwalker Ranch has the Skinwalker phenomena, which falls into the cryptid category like the Mothman would. Right. So there... Like, one of the experiences that people talk about is what seems to be, like, this large, wolf-like, you know, type of creature um, that just randomly appears and attacks, like, cattle or things like that. And then, like, there are reports of people who used to live on the ranch um, 
who've walked up and shot at these animals and it does nothing to them. And then like they'll be chasing them, you know, like out of the, you know, into the ranch and then they just suddenly dematerialize. Right. You know? So it's very similar to Mothman. Um, so you've got that type of phenomena there. But not only do you have that, but you That actually reminds me in Point Pleasant reports of uh, Bigfoot-like cryptids that people would see sort of materialize on one side of the road. They would walk across the road and then it would be gone. Yeah. So yeah. those sort of creature sightings were there as, as well. Okay. So you also have at Skinwalker Ranch major UFO phenomena. Yeah. Like major, major UFO phenomena. You have, still happening right now. Yeah, still happening right now. And... Uh, I mean, like tons of people see UFOs there. Like, I mean, it's it the amount of UFO sightings there over the decades is ridiculous. People who've lived there, people who've worked there, like all you've got to do is just go and search that. Like, there's crazy amounts of that, and so you've got that going on there. But also, you have weird, strange, like I don't know what I would call this. This type of like natural phenomena with what's called the mesa there so the mesa is kind of like this this ridge that kind of goes through the area and like the this mesa will do weird stuff at certain times like it'll just randomly start glowing at night right and like you'll have lights appear on them that just seem like people have no clue where these lights are coming from like the people who are working there and who are staying on the ranch like they just seem to be just randomly shining like out of the sky or not just out of the sky but just from just so, somewhere, it's right. very. In some ways, it's kind of similar to fairy phenomena, like fey yeah. lights. That's what ways. I was going to say. It really speaks to the the natural anomalous sort of nature of these places. Like uh, a lot of window areas, you'll find they have religious and historical significance to the ancient people. Like the ancient people noticed there was something odd about the area. Well, that's the thing with Skinwalker Ranch too. So just like Point Pleasant. Skinwalker Ranch also had a large Native American presence there as well. Like, there's actually there in some of the stones on the mesa, uh, petroglyphs carved into the rocks there. And if I'm not mistaken, there's actually like a map of the sky and like Draco, the constellation that's laid out there. So it's kind of like, uh, you know, uh, a map of the sky there. And so the Native Americans seem to have been on to this this place there's something strange about this place and they they were there they they there was worship there just like there was in point pleasant um which we'll we'll get into that a little bit more whenever we talk about maybe the nuts and bolts behind a window area and the whys behind it which is really we're just theorizing about um nobody seems to have a big time theory on why um but anyway but so some of that there's there's major overlap there also weird overlap between um military presence in a lot of these places. Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, Skinwalker Ranch has changed hands from some top... Uh, NIDS. NIDS yeah. was what it was called. Um, and major, major government government presence there. Yeah, I mean, the guy that runs uh, uh, the Skunk Works that builds mi- uh, military fighter craft. Yeah, that's right. Stealth craft. Yep. Owned it at one point. Yep, and you had similar stuff with Point Pleasant. Major military presence in the TNT area. That like that was a place to hold munitions, that kind of thing. So weird, you know what I mean? Right. Um, but you've got that type of phenomena there. Then you've got that natural type of phenomena there. And then there's like weird poltergeist type phenomena there too. Like right. major cases of apportation of objects just uh, materializing, dematerializing. Yep. So you've got that, and like in a lot of the old homesteads there, 
people go and they talk about encountering like uh, dude i remember the the one you sent me when we when you were watching the the show about the the cow that or the bull that apportated into the into a tree into a tree yeah yeah um also that ties in like there's a lot of cattle mutilation yeah yeah there's a lot of cattle mutilations there too which also ties in with point pleasant as well like for whatever reason, cattle mutilation and is is a type of thing. But um, so you've got reports though of people um, seeing you know ghostly type beings there in the homestead areas. But not just that as well, but also like creatures there. Like you've got reports of people saying like portals opening there, creatures coming out of them. So very similar in some ways to Point Pleasant. You know, same type of phenomena, a uh, little right. bit different, like in its own unique type of way that's kind of like relevant to the people in that area. Um, like you've got, you've got that with Point Pleasant, right? Like the manifestations there are very relevant to the people in that area. Like there was the whole Birdman stuff and that kind of stuff. So you see this Birdman type cryptid being. It's the same thing with the people there in Skinwalker Ranch at the Mesa, like where you've got this Skinwalker type of phenomena there. Right. It's very relevant to the people there. So um, it's like it, this phenomena in some ways kind of takes on the mask that the people are most familiar with in right. some ways. Um, so that's Skinwalker Ranch. A lot of overlap. With there's Point a, there's really a history of hostility towards animals in all these places. Yeah. I yeah. mean, in Point Pleasant, you had uh, not just cattle mutilations. You had people's pets that were being abducted out <laughs> yeah. of their yards. And people actually seeing uh, a creature, the mo- what they call the Mothman, abducting their dogs and things right out of their yards, taking yeah. off with it. Yeah. And so, okay, so we've got some other high strangeness areas, too, some window areas. And these ones are ones I'm not super familiar with, but you can kind of lead us in on some of the conversation with that. Tell us about some of the other places. Uh, sort of the first one I think you might be familiar with the most out of the other ones uh, is the Okigahara Suicide Forest in Japan. Yeah, I'm a little bit familiar with that one. I so, know everybody would uh, probably has heard of it at some point. I mean, you have, uh, it was Jake or Logan Paul. Yeah, sort of got in trouble on YouTube for going there and actually filming one of the uh, the suicide victims that they f- actually found in the forest, That's and crazy. he put it on his channel. That's wild. But the area has uh, again an anomalous history. I mean, the ancient people there talked of lights in the sky, creatures in the forest. It's a, a place where the the people would take their uh, their elderly and their starving and their sickly in times of famine, and where they couldn't just couldn't afford to feed them. And take them into the woods and leave them to die. That's so wild. So, is there also? Uh, I don't know if you have any idea of what kind of creatures they would see in that. But it seems that seems very re- related to me to skinwalker, cryptid phenomena, Mothman phenomena. Right. It was uh, sort of the same kind of beings you would see uh, in other window areas. There were hairy creatures, yeah. uh, uh, creatures that resembled wolves or dogs. Yeah. Uh, fairy type beings. Yeah. Um, you see that a lot in, in areas in, uh, like, British Isles. Right. Fairy phenomena, which, again, this phenomena seems to take on the the mask of whatever people in those areas are familiar with. Right. But it's Especially all Especially with uh, sort of, like, the Ignis Fatus, the, the spirit lights, or what uh, the natives would call Will-O-Wisp. There were uh, glowing lights seen in the forest that would try to lure people away from the safety of their village into the forest to die. Yeah. So that's something that's seen in the suicide forest today is the ghost lights. Hmm. That's fascinating. And, okay. That history of death and uh, just atrocity in the area is thought to be some sort of curse, a catalyst 
that that causes people to be drawn there today to commit suicide in the area. I mean, they have park rangers right now to this day that their entire job is to go into the forest every day and negotiate with people who are actively camped out in the area hmm. about to commit suicide. What do you... I wonder if that place has a large military presence. I'm not sure. I know the magnetic field is off the charts. Yeah. Because uh, Mount Fiji is uh, right there in the area. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, you can take magnetometers and uh, EMF meters into the area, and they just just go insane. You kind of have some similar phenomena at Skinwalker Ranch, and they found out, they're thinking that uh, there was a... asteroid hit or a comet you know that kind of thing hit there right. at some point in its history and you have a, a like a, once you dig down into the ground like there's a huge magnetism going on there and so it dry like emf meters that type of stuff like you get crazy types of readings on that type of stuff there and so yeah there's like naturally anomalous you know and it seems like that that area is naturally anomalous too which whenever we were in point pleasant that was some of the stuff that i was trying to figure out on my end like Okay, is there like some sort of event that's happened here that's maybe right. made this area naturally anomalous? And it definitely fits the pattern with the natural anomalies in the ground, with the magnetism and the history of occult practices and atrocity, leaving uh, family members out there to die, and even a sacrificial well, element. Do to you that. think is there is there any history of of occult practices in the suicide forest? Do you know that? Um, I know that it was a place before they would leave their family members out there during famines and things. It, it had a history of being sacrificial grounds. Really? Hmm. That's, that's fascinating. Um, okay, well, tell us about some of the other areas. You've got a couple more. While you look at that, I'm going to see if I can find anything on occult practices there in that forest. So uh, Another area that I've studied is uh, Hoyabachu Forest in Romania. I mean, this place has been... It's probably one of the more famous window areas, and pe- but if people might not know it as a window area. I mean, if you've seen the show Destination Truth with Josh Gates, they done an episode there. And basically the entire town, or if you can call it a town, it's a village, reports, uh, again, things you'd typically find in a window area. Uf- UFOs in the sky, creatures in the forest, hauntings, and they all know about the clearing that sets in the middle of this forest. There's some, They've done soil samples. It's nothing with the soil, but for some reason there's a circular clearing in the middle of this dense forest where nothing grows, and that seems to be the source of the activity. Where's that at? It's in Romania. Romania. So what kind of phenomena do they have there? Uh, people see uh, the creatures in the forest. I know that when Josh Gates and his team was there, they were able to document some of the, the, the spirit lights in the woods, uh, get some reports of the villagers describing the UFOs that were... And there's even pictures of so the UFOs. you've US, got lights, you know, you've got UFOs, similar to the other places. So right. Far. But what you're saying some other stuff there, sorry. There's a, a, a researcher that has, that lives in the area now. I forgot I forget his name, but he's a, a PhD, and he, his, his whole life now is devoted to studying that particular window area, sort of like how John Keel dedicated that segment of his life to Point Pleasant. And he's been able to photograph uh, apparitions in the woods, UFOs in the sky, just things like that. Yeah. Again, a violent uh, sort of history towards animals. There's been animal abductions, mutilations, people going into the circle and just vanishing. Uh, people have came by on ATVs and reported seeing uh, 
farmers that were in like garb from a thousand years ago, a couple hundred years ago, sort of walking in and out of a, a time slip or a portal. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. So with the the suicide forest, like there's like major spike in deaths in that place yeah. in the past like decade. Like it's a uh, says that most of the common uh, means there was hanging or drug overdose. So. Uh, also, it looks like that people have found like uh, some occultic type stuff there as well. So anyway, um, really wild. And um, okay, so you talked about the Huibachu forest. Really similar phenomena there. The and it's same. Just really <clears throat> strange area too. Just this one little place where the forest does not grow. Right. There's UFO sightings. So you can see there. almost a physical representation of the actual. Anomalous area, the window area itself. Yeah. They, they associate it to the, the source, to that clearing. Huh. That's interesting. Okay. So what's some other ones? Another one we can talk about is uh, sort of these uh, points of, these triangular points of high strangeness that you can find overseas, like the Bermuda Triangle is probably the most famous. Yeah. I'm, well, I'm familiar with that one. I think that everybody's kind of heard of that one. There's another one in the South China Sea, I believe, that's uh, called the Dragon Triangle. It's it's basically just the same phenomena you'd find in normal window areas, but at sea. Okay, so from what I recall about the Bermuda Triangle, like I remember um, learning about this whenever I was growing up. My dad was into, into stuff like this too, and um, so I like I I know that there's been like a bunch of just like boats sink there in the Bermuda, right. Bermuda Triangle. <clears throat> I think that planes have went down. In the Bermuda Triangle, I don't know if there's any other phenomena that happens there other than that. Right, but I, those uh, are the that's the phenomena I know of. Yeah, I mean, people in the area report uh, issues with their compasses and navigation equipment due to the high magnetic fields, just like you see in the other window areas. Naturally anomalous, right? Interesting, and so it's si- similar thing too, right? With the Dragon Triangle, I would guess. Yep, like, uh, ghost ships, people seeing. Uh, oh, so there's that type of phenomena there right. too, like ghost. Yeah, sort of on land, you'll have apparitions of what people describe as human beings, but at t- typically with the the window areas at sea, they're typ- like ghost ships and things. Hmm. Okay, all right. So window areas in general seem to just be these places where just wild amounts of strangeness happens. Right. Right. That's what makes a window area a window area by definition. It is an area of high strangeness. It's as though a window has been opened. And just allows all this weirdness to come out, right? And so that's what you get in Point Pleasant. That's what you get in Skinwalker Ranch. That's what you get in the, the Japanese suicide forest. That's what, or maybe it was the Chinese. I can't remember. It's Japanese, uh, Japanese yeah. suicide forest. That's what you get in Huyabacha Forest. That's what you get in the the Triangle areas. It's these areas where there is a high manifestation of strange phenomena. Right. Okay. So. Let's now get into some of the theories and the nuts and bolts as to, like, what makes this happen, right? We've we've given some examples, we've defined some terms here, but like, we may we may have some unique takes on this, so this will be fun. Um, what do you think, from your perspective, makes these areas just a place for strangeness to occur? It's really hard to tell. I mean, if you, the the more you dig into it, the more you realize there's this sort of endless back and forth kind of uh, is the area naturally anomalous and it drew the natives, the ancient peoples to it 
and they sort of feed into it and build their lives around it? Or did the native people, ancient people, create this through ritual practice and it's sort of a, a manifestation from that? Yeah. So, yeah, so it could Honestly, be... it's like which came first. Yeah, it's kind of like, are these places naturally anomalous or did they become a nat- or naturally anomalous through ritualistic type things? Right. Um, here's my theory. I've got a theory and I'm still... And I'm working on this this type of hypothesis with the Point Pleasant Mothman case stuff that we're working on, and that's eventually going to become a project later on. Um, my theory, and I, I kind of take so here's kind of how John Keel talks about this. He doesn't really dive into the why. So from what I understand, the why is the question that some people are saying needs answered. Keel kind of um, come up with a theory for like the high strangeness like <clears throat> like the uh, the why for the high strangeness kind of right but, um so kind of what he said was okay all of this 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 manifestation of phenomena that you see he says that there's one being behind all of it and it's what he called ultra terrestrials now jacques valet Again, another person that Michael Heiser recommends, I think that he calls it something different than ultra-terrestrials. I, I can't remember what exactly it is that he calls it. But um, basically what he says is you have this one type of being behind it that he calls an ultra-terrestrial and that it manifests itself on what's called the super spectrum. And he says that basically what it does is it this thing wears different masks. Okay, He says that it manifests itself as demons, as angels, as um, uh, UFOs, as Bigfoot, as all, um, right. all of this stuff, basically is what he says. I think that he's really close. Right. I think that he's really, really close. Um, and like it's sort of like the phenomenon shows up to meet the cultural, culturally conditioned perceptions of the people experiencing the phenomenon. Yeah. And Michael Heiser thinks that he's close. <clears throat> Um, he thinks that him and, and Jacques Valley both are close, and that's why he recommends the writings. So I would I would take it a little bit in a different direction because I'm a, I'm a Christian. Kiel was not. Um, I would say that Kiel's right. There is one being behind all of this phenomena, and I think that it is pr- most likely a principality or something like that, which is a spiritual being. He calls it an ultra terrestrial. I, I call it a principality. Okay. And so, I mean, honestly, same difference. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, it's it doesn't really matter. I mean, that's a one's a more scientific name, the other one's a more of a, a biblical name. So whatever. It, it, at the end of the day, it works out exactly the same. Right. So here's what I would say about a window area. Okay. So this is still yet getting into the to the why of the phenomena. This isn't diving into the why of what makes this area yeah. in particular a, a window area. Um, but I would say that all of the phenomena in the area. Um, is a manifestation of a principality over that geographical area. So, for example, I don't think that Mothman's a principality. I think that Mothman is a manifestation, or, or is, is phenomena that manifests itself in that area because there is a principality at work in that area, right. geographically. Um, in the Bible, the geographical uh, entities over geographical areas are called principalities. So that's why I've chosen that terminology. So um, I don't know, maybe Mothman's an elemental spirit. I I don't know. Um, I tend to lean towards he's probably an elemental spirit of some kind, which is manifesting himself uh, in that area as the result of a principality being over that area. But 
But I think that all of the phenomena in that area is the result of a principality being in that area, whether it be the haunting and um, the haunting phenomena that's there, whether it be the UFO phenomena that's there, all of that stuff, I think, is the result. Of, that's that's my theory on that. Now, my theory on the – this is something that I'm working out still yet. The why. Okay, why this area? I don't really know. <clears throat> like, I, I don't really know. Um, as of right now, I tend to lean towards ritualistic abuse. Um, I think that a lot of this stuff happens in these areas – because um, it seems like all of them in some ways have either, uh, you know, Native American occultic ties, you know what I mean? Um, or, pa- you know, paganism, that kind of thing. Um, like Point Pleasant has that. Now, there's still yet that part. It's like, which came first, the naturally anomalous stuff? And I don't know. I don't know the answer to that question. But it does seem to me that there is a connection between the phenomena that's happening there and the worship of of deities in those areas so that's what i tend to lean to i tend to think or maybe they come in and they they experience the phenomena that a principality was manifesting in that area and then they just set up in that area and devoted worship to that sort of feeds off each other like a feedback right yeah yeah, i don't know but that tends to be where i lean at in in this conversation and I don't know. All of those things that I said there are kind of a theory and a hypothesis. That yeah, you I'm can testing. almost you can trace those two points back to where it's like indistinguishable. I mean, you can't really make heads or tails of which comes first. Yeah. So, I think Kiel's basically right. Um, I just choose to use a little bit different language than, yeah. than he does. But I, I that I think that all of this stuff, whether it be fairies, whether it be Mothman. Whether it be skinwalkers, whether it be did I say Bigfoot already? Bigfoot. I don't think we mentioned Bigfoot yet. No, big whether it be Bigfoot, all of it. I think all of it is a the manifestation of a spiritual being behind the scenes. I mean, another thing that project people might be familiar with is uh, David Platy's Missing Four One One. Yeah, right. So missing people in these national parks. He attributes those missing. person cases to high strangeness and to areas similar to Point Pleasant and things like that. Yeah. So those kind of cases have that supernatural element to it. Yeah. And disappearances are things that are found in window areas. Yeah. That's interesting. Um, So that's kind of my take on it. That's kind of what I'm thinking. I'm working on a lot of this kind of hypothesis. in this Point Pleasant stuff that we're doing. That ten, tends to be what I think about Point Pleasant so far. I think that this area um, <clears throat> is a window area. Um, and, the like, again, whether it was naturally anomalous or whatever, uh, I, I think that those people were drawn to that area because they experienced the work of a principality or the phenomena of a principality there. They set up camp there, and all of the high strangeness in that area is a manifestation of a principality that is still yet in that area. That's that's my theory on it so far. We'll test that. Right. <laughs> we'll 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 see. You know. I mean, in the paranormal, you hear phrases like people saying uh, the phenomenon notices those who can notice it back. Yeah. So in in Appalachia, you have people who are just uh, naturally superstitious by nature. Yeah. And so it makes sense that it would be home of the home of high strangeness. Yeah. I mean, you talk about things like liminality and marginality. And, I mean, what's more marginalized than 
the people of Appalachia, the people that grew up in the coal fields. Yeah, no doubt. So I think that that's probably a good segue into what we want to talk about next. So we've talked about window areas. We've talked about um, high strangeness. And we've talked about some of the nuts and bolts. And so, Oh, wait. One theory that I didn't mention that I wanted to Go mention. Go for it. What yeah, is yeah. it? Well, uh, okay. Well, another theory that I had, or not that I had, but that somebody else that I ran across had, was that uh, they thought that some of the window area stuff and the high strangeness happened because of a uh, is a, is a multiversal theory which i find it kind of interesting in some ways so basically what somebody's this this theory kind of appeals to me because i'm a marvel fan i was going to say this very marvel yeah it appeal it appeals to me in some ways so uh this is fascinating uh so one of the theories was you get window areas um so what they say is the universe is not a universe they say it's a multiverse right you have parallel uh parallel universes to this one and so they say that sometimes what happens is that <clears throat> these these uh multiverses overlap with one another and sometimes because they overlap you'll see that they'll say that's why you see a skinwalker say at skinwalker ranch just appear and it's doing something and just like vanishes in thin air just like almost disintegrates that the the uh multiverses have aligned and then they've went past each other. And that's right. why you see it just do what it does. I think that's interesting in some way. It is. And so uh, apparently, and I don't know how true this is. I've not looked into it. Apparently there are reports out there of people who have found things like coins to like nations that like don't exist. Right. And then they just disappear. And then yep. they like supposedly reappear at random times. You know what I mean? And so that could ex- explain some of that type of phenomena. I don't like. I know a lot of Christians are skeptical of multiverse because a lot of atheists try to use the multiverse as an argument for the existence of ours. They'll say, "Well, the multiverse created our universe," but at the end of the day, that's that doesn't really work. You know, like William Lane Craig, for example, talks about that even if there is a multiverse there still yet had to be a God who created the multiverse because the multiverse cannot create itself. Right. You know what I mean? <clears throat> so I don't think that that's a theory that Christians would have to be afraid of. And I find that kind of interesting in some ways. Yeah. So anyway, I wanted to throw that one out there as an explanation as well because I, I thought that one was interesting. So, And honestly, if Christians want an example of a better example that they're familiar with of a window area, they need to really look at Israel. Hmm. Yeah. To look at Jerusalem, I mean the the religious and spiritual significance to to the ancient people, the anomalous activity that happens there. I mean, the, in terms of abductions, like you have people being taken up out of the land, you have uh, UFO sightings that are still reported in Israel. To actually, Israel right now today is one of the UFO hot spots of the world. Oh, that's interesting. Tales of cryptids. Uh, just well, all I kinds mean, of things like that. Well, I mean, even in different places in the Bible, you have things talked about there, like donkey centaurs and, right, yeah. and uh, sirens and things like that. I mean, there's even a statue been built to sirens there in in Israel um, because there is a beach area. And I can't, the Kiryat Yam Mermaid. Yep. Yeah, we talked, we've talked about this in the Cryptids yep. episode where there's a ton of mermaid sightings, right. siren siren, uh, sightings. And so it's... 
It also seems to be... Again, the whole doorway, portal, kind of uh, area where heaven and earth meet, uh, the spiritual and the physical meet, that sort of overlap. It's yeah. the same kind of language used to describe window areas around the world. Right. And so, I think that leads us now into our, our next part. Okay, so we've talked about window areas. We've talked about uh, high strangeness. So what is it that sets apart us from, say, your normal non-Christian Joe Blow who's out there investigating this stuff? Like, some people may even be skeptical of Christians investigating this stuff to, be, to begin with, which seems to be a reaction that you see from people. But I will say this. Like, if you're in pastoral ministry, you are dealing with weirdness. Like, it's inescapable. It wasn't like that I one day decided, I'm like, oh, I'm going to get into the paranormal and, and start investigating this stuff. No, I, I ended up getting into this stuff because it ended up in my lap. And I That's had no, the way the paranormal happened yeah. for me. Yeah. yeah. And so, like, for <clears throat> me personally, like, I, you would have, I mean, you have congregants who experience spiritual warfare. Right. And attached with spiritual warfare is strangeness. And so you have to help shepherd people through that. And, you know, it's... I mean, you can't deny that this this, this stuff actually happens. And if there's going to be areas where Christians... Not if you want to be a of, Christian. Yeah. If, if, if there's going to be areas where Christians sort of back away and say, this area I'm not going to touch, or I'm not going to have a say on this area. I mean, you leave it open for other sources, paganism, yeah. to have the last word. Well, it's whenever Christians back away and they abandon the lordship of Christ over an area which is what most Christians have done with the right. paranormal. Yeah. They've abandoned the lordship of Christ over it. They create a vacuum, and something's going to fill the vacuum. And right now it's the New Age pagan witch exactly. type thing that's, that's kind of filled the vacuum. And so, But I, that's how I ended up getting into this is because it landed in my lap. And so th- you have one of two options. You can ignore it and let the vacuum be there, or you can engage it under the lordship of Christ. And that's what I've chosen to do. And so, yeah, like I said, it wasn't like I just woke up one day and like, ah, I'm going to start investigating this stuff. No, like whenever, if you're a pastor, like your work is a supernatural work. Right. You know, like and so you have to counsel people through things like spiritual warfare. And I mean, the church has always done things like house blessings where you're uh, basing, basically casting out uh, unclean spirits that could be taking up residence in a home. That's not even counting the work of, of exorcisms, which is doing the same thing to a person, right? Um, yeah, so uh, the, the, the church historically, I mean, the, the normal work of the church is a supernatural work. And so me, right. like, I just want to be a faithful pastor who is traditionally a Christian, yeah. like in the sense of what that, you know, traditionally has meant. And so for me, that's how I ended up getting into it. So I, I would say that, like, it's impossible for you to be a Christian and not engage with this in some way. Right. Right. Um, I mean, the stigma and the sort of avoidance of these things is very much just almost just exclusively a Protestant problem. I mean, it really is. in high church traditions and Catholicism, you have entire uh, sections, even in the Vatican, that send out researchers to investigate miracles and strange yeah. phenomena and things like that. Yeah, that's that's really common in the high church traditions out there. And I'm, we're, we're a higher, like we are higher church than most. So for us, it's not that weird. Right. You know what yeah. I mean? Like at this point, like our congregation's kind of gotten used to, like the world you live in is kind of strange. Right. And like this is a part of the ministry that we do. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, it, from, from what I understand and what I've seen and observed, it does seem to be a primarily Protestant problem 
And that's because we've really been influenced by materialism, enlightenment thinking, and not only that, but we've also just, we don't understand what it means that Christ is Lord. Right. I mean, I know in my first few cases, when I first got into the work uh, sort of full-time, there were cases brought to me by by a priest, members of the Catholic Catholic Church, uh, the congregants, uh, the people who are experiencing activity. They couldn't get help from uh, Protestant pastors. They, I remember the the one woman I spoke to said that she had a door slammed in her face from the Protestant pastor that she went to initially, and that's when she turned to the Catholic Church. So it's always been the higher church traditions, the people in that, those areas that have really embraced the paranormal. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I think that the problem with Protestantism, and I'm a Protestant, um, I think that the primarily the, the majority of us um, have just, I mean, a lot of us have grown up, have grown up and have been through the public school systems where we have been indoctrinated with materialism and scientism. And so, like, it's almost like in some ways you can't ex- escape your worldview. You know what I mean? Like, and the worldview that the majority of us have been given is not the traditional worldview of Christianity. And right. so I think that that's one thing that's going on. A lot of us have just been reared in a materialistic, scientific time, which some of that stuff is helpful, though, because a lot some of it plays into the work that we do. It's just that we don't separate the supernatural and the scientific. Both right. of those things can go together. Right. Um, but, yeah, so I think that's one thing. I think another thing is we just have a problem where we want to be, I don't know, we want to be friends with the world and the world is scientific and materialistic. So like, we don't want to come off as weird. You know what I mean? We've talked about this, I think in a, in a, an uncut section before, but I think that that's one of the things I think that like, we just try to appeal so much to the world that we, it ends up leading us to basically be materialist and the supernatural seems world uh, weird to us, yep. but it shouldn't because as Christians, we have a supernatural worldview. Like, if you don't have that, you're not a Christian. I'm sorry. Like, if you discount the supernatural, you also uh, you also end up discounting the very God you say that you worship. Right. Who stands outside <clears throat> of time and space. So, um, that's not observable with the scientific method. Right. Right. Like, the scientific method deals with what is observable, what's testable, that kind of thing. The God who created the universe stands outside of time, outside of space. He cannot be tested and observed with the scientific method, right? So, um, so yeah. But anyway, um, I don't know where I was going with that. I don't know. I guess I just need I mean, to... the, the paranormal field today, I mean, there, it, did, it wasn't always this sort of... Really, there really is an anti-Christian bias in it today. There's a, there's a movement to distance yourself from Christian demonology, mm-hmm. from its roots, from the field's roots in Christianity to begin with. There's not an investigator in the field today that doesn't know their career to people like Ed and Lorraine Warren. Yeah. People that worked in uh, religious demonology, Christian demonology, and that's sort of where the whole structure of investigating these things comes from today. Really? That's interesting. Let's talk about that a little bit more instead of me ranting and raving about materialism, which I could <laughs> I could do all day, uh, but I'm not going to do that. Um, so Ed and, and, and Lorraine Warren, uh, I think we've, we've talked about them before. Right. I think we talked about them on a chinwag that we did yeah. on The Devil Made Me Do It. Yeah. But they uh, that's one of their cases, right? Uh, also, the Amityville Horror, the that's one of their cases. 
Um, so let's talk about some of that. How, where might people know Ed and Lorraine Warren from? Um, Ed and Lorraine Warren were the, the true pioneers of the paranormal field. And I they mean, were Christians. And they were Christians. Right. They were Catholic. Okay. And uh, people will know their stories and their cases because uh, their cases are based on uh, – Hollywood movies are really based on their cases now, like The Conjuring series, Annabelle. Mm-hmm. All that is based on their work. Okay. Ed Warren was uh, the only that I know of demonologist that was officially recognized by the Catholic Church that was a layman. That's a fairly big deal. It is. Because I I have – I listen – to to Catholics, and I have some Catholic friends, and so I try to stay up to date on just all things Christendom, even if it's not my own tradition. Um, and you know that's a big deal because they actually don't want laymen coming and and being a part of their their work. You know, like so for example, like they do uh, trainings, like where right. bishops um, will train priests for this type of work. Um, de- demonology and you know uh, right and the- you had you had Ed, Ed Warren really fighting against that materialism that you were talking about I mean there's cases where he would get on to uh, the clergy in the area for being materialistic and not having these kind of wor- there was priests in the area that even denied the dis- the existence of uh, pure evil of like yeah. a, a satanic being yeah yep. and Ed and, Lorraine, Ed and Lorraine really pioneered that push to these people they're experiencing this phenomenon, need help, and the church needs to be the ones to help them. Yeah, that actually, uh, that that exactly what you're talking about there. Um, Matt Frad writes about in a short story he wrote uh, in his sibling horror podcast called Infestation. Basically, you have an older priest who takes a younger priest who's very materialistic and deny, like denies the existence of Satan under his wing and like, they do a house blessing together. Really interesting short story um, for those who are uh, interested. But basically, he talk, he's talking about what you're talking about, that there was a time right. in the Catholic Church where that was the type of worldview that you used to have. And so Ed, Ed Warren is kind of a exception to the rule in some ways. Like where you had, um, like now, like they only want priests and bishops really doing this kind of work. But Ed Ed Warren was kind of the exception. Like he was the one person recognized in the Catholic hierarchy who was like known to be able like to do this type of work. Yeah, Ed Warren was really sort of like a stumbling block that was sort of tossed into Catholicism at the time. I mean, you had two camps. You had uh, the camp with uh, clergy that didn't want any lady in in religious demonology. And then you had people like Ed Warren that just showed up and really stirred the pot and really got the clergy focused back in back in on that area. Yeah, yep. So, really interesting. Okay, so with that being said, what separates the work from like an Ed and Lorraine Warren, and then say a Sword and Staff, from other people out there who are doing this type of work? Say people doing Hellier like the Greg and Dana Newkirks of the world, or um, just your everyday paranormal investigator that you're going to see on, you know, the Science Discovery Channel, whatever, Travel Channel, whatever. What separates that? Honestly, it's the same thing that has given rise to uh, the New Age and paganism in America. I mean, it's the church's reluctance and silence on these issues. I mean, uh, you have uh, the church now... And, and, and modernity 
with their hesitance to even touch these subjects. And then you have people from the pagan persuasion that have really tried to divorce uh, the Christian roots away from par- from paranormal research in general that was started by the Warrens mm-hmm. and replace it with paganism, the occult. The okay, new age. how how do they do that? They uh, it's a it's a very anti Christian bias. They strip away any sort of uh, nod to demonology. Like uh, the other day, I was sharing those videos with Ward in our group chat mm-hmm. of a show on YouTube called uh, Haunt Me. Mm-hmm. And it's a show where they use occult practices and things to study the paranormal. But they okay. even in that show, they show you that they're very, like, they, they talk about eye-rolling people when people bring up demons or Ed and Lorraine Ward. Well, you see something similar, like, in the CE5 movement with Dr. Stephen Greer. Right. Like, with aliens, right? Like, they're using rituals to contact uh, aliens. That's contact of the fifth kind, right? Right. Um, and so he rolls his eyes at people who say that, that uh, aliens are demons and things like that. And that's actually like some of the like type of propaganda that he puts out there, you know, like right. the and aliens the people, are not. And the people that are making contact with these beings actually say that that's what the, that's the big uh, message of the new age mm-hmm. is the freedom from that religious Christian dogma. Okay. So you said that they're using occult practices in their investigation. What kind of occult tools are they using? Um, I've seen people that have used uh, things like tarot cards, scrying, uh, Crystal grids, just the the staples you see in the New Age movement today. You can also use those across the board in paranormal investigation. So divination tools, okay. things like that. So you would use, say, tarot, and um, explain to people. Okay, so you came out of this, right? You were you were in the world of the occult. You used to use tools like like that. So tarot cards, like, what is it that you're doing with a tarot card, and how can you use it to? Uh, for investigation, as an investigation tool. Um, a tarot card... Because we do see it in Hellier. Yeah. Yeah, it's a big-time tool. They right. use it to... Yeah. Actually, our modern-day playing cards are derived from the tarot. The tarot is it has four uh, sort of suits, kind of where we get, like, spades, diamonds, but that's, they have swords, right. wands, p- uh, yep. pinnacles, things yep. like that. Um, but they're divination tools, and the really broad spectrum. I know people that use them uh, to communicate with spirits. Mm-hmm. Um, I know in the that show haunt me. That's what they use them for is to communicate with spirits. I've also seen like the, the like the New Kirks, especially in Hellier, will use them whenever they're maybe stuck or need right, guidance, yeah. right? Like they're 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 uh, they're chasing the phenomena, which we've talked about. Like a lot of this high strangeness is phenomena. I believe of a spiritual being, like a right. principality. Yeah. So they're experiencing this phenomena, right? And they're researching it, and then they get stuck, right? And so what they'll do is they'll break out the tarot cards. And use that as a way to kind of guide them into the next place that they're going, right? Right. So, okay, so you mentioned a scrying tool, okay? Uh, what was it you called it? A scrying? Uh... There, scrying is just uh, another word, for, another form of divination. You can use anything to scry with. Okay. Uh, it's seeking, what is this? Okay, so yeah, it's so seeking knowledge, wisdom uh, from the spiritual realm through uh, a physical inanimate object. Like people, the majority of scrying is used through mirrors, mirror gazing. Yeah, I've heard of a, a scrying mirror before. Right. So how how would you use something like that? Like there was a scrying pendulum you had talked about. How would you use something like a scrying pendulum? Um, it's basically focused and set intentions. You set you set uh, ritually. You set your intentions to communicate with either a specific spiritual okay. being so or the ritual? other side. Right. Ritual. Okay. And then your body becomes sort of the Ch- channel. Channel, okay. 
And so does like this, like, does it move the, this pendulum, that kind of thing? Like, yeah. okay. All right. All right. So basically what's going on is people in the paranormal are using occult tools, known occult tools, like the tarot, like scrying, divination as a, as a tool for divination. Right. And they're using that. <clears throat> okay. And so now for people like you and I, or like Ed and Lorraine Warren, they would not use tools no, like this. No, no. <laughs> right? Okay. I mean, that if, if there was one thing that Ed Warren could have pushed to the end of his life, it was the dangers of occult abuse and occult yeah. tools. Yeah, that's good. Um, all right, so what kind of tools is it that we would, we would use? So, okay, you, like you watch Hellier, for example, and you see like Dana Newkirk, who is also a hedge witch, um, doing rituals. Right, like she's doing rituals, um, and she's using that as an as a tool to engage the phenomena. Um, I would say that we use rituals as well, right? But it's not the same kind of rituals. Yeah, right. Like so, the tr the church traditionally has had rituals when engaging. Yeah, their version is like an inversion that's of our right. That's exactly right. Yeah, their version is an inversion of this type of thing that we're doing. So some of the things that the the church has traditionally used, and this is me speaking of this because I'm a pastor and that kind of thing. Um, like we use rituals as well. Like there are rituals out there for um, building dedications, for the setting apart a space as sacred space, which is basically what they're doing with a lot of um, the rituals that they're doing. You know what I mean? Like they're trying to make uh, something a sac a space to be a sacred space, right? right? And they use things like banishing rituals and that kind of thing. We do the same thing. Except we're like the Book of Common Prayer, which is a Protestant Anglican work. Like there's a, a liturgy and ritual in there for setting apart a building or uh, tools and like a pulpit and, you know, table and all that stuff. There's <clears throat> rituals in there for setting apart these things as, as, um, as sacred objects. And there's also blessings in there to use in a place that was ritually... Uh, profane space to make it a sacred space again. Right. Like house blessing prayers are in there. Um, rituals, that type of thing. And so we use those types of things too, but ours are uh, rituals and tools that are given by, by the church from God through the scriptures, right? That kind of thing. Rather than uh, devising them out of our own wisdom, that kind of thing, right? Right. Um, Another tool that Christians have traditionally used are sacramentals, which, again, these are used in the high church traditions, even in Protestantism as well. And sacramentals are things like holy water. Like, and it's not like you see in the, you know, in the movies, yeah. right? Like where you're throwing it on the vampire yeah. and the vampire yeah. is yeah. smoking and, you know, that whole thing. It's, it's not like that. Um, but even things like blessed salt, um, uh, there's even in the Anglican tradition, there's, there's things called the oil of exorcism. Right. Um, Salt, light, water, and oil. Yeah, and you have those things even used in paganism. But again, basically what it is is it is an inversion of what we have in the church. Um, you know, you even see that like with Aleister Crowley and the rituals that he's using. You know, Crowley's a, this major occultist, you know, who really has influenced, um, you know, this type of stu occultism today. But basically everything that Crowley did was an inversion of what he found in Christianity. Uh, right. So yeah. he actually, you know, was, uh, you know, uh, in his Thelemite, you know, that type of thing. Uh, a part of that is what's called the Gnostic Catholic Church. 
and Crowley was the one who found, who basically developed the rituals for those. And he did that by going and observing the liturgy and the mass um, of the Catholic Church. And I think it was like, it was up uh, northern Europe somewhere. I can't remember where it was, like Germany, up towards there. But basically what he went and did was watched a mass up there, and he took it and he distorted it and tweaked it and come up with what was called the Gnostic Mass. <clears throat> so right. a lot of these tools that people are using are distorted uh, things that the church has, and they're using them as means to communicate with spirits, that kind of thing. And right. so what we need to do is not abandon this area, but take back what is ours. Like, even as Protestants, we have a tradition where uh, these, like, we, we have tools to deal with these things. It's not just the Catholics, right? And so I, I think that one of the things we needed to do is to recover our tools and not be weirded out by that. Uh, right. Here I go again. I'm about to get it. I'll go on to a rant. I'm about to go on to a rant about materialism and, you know, and abandon. Somebody needs to. Yeah. But, More people need but to. But anyway, this is a chinwag, so I'm trying not to go, you know anyway but um but yeah so some of the tools that we would use um would be sacramentals right um which are the things we talked about the liturgies of the church um and then not just that but i think that we can make use of some some things like like emf meters there's definitely some uh some morally neutral scientific tools that are shared by both sides i mean that even the the use of science and faith again was something that and lorraine warren sort of married together with yeah. Christian demonology, and today uh, the use of scientific tools is prevalent in modern investigation, but it's just paired with occult beliefs. Right, something like an EMF meter is right. not pagan. Right. right. Now you could like um, now you could use some of these tools as as a means to communicate. Right. It's right. about intention. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, like having a, a meter that uh, that measures the the very real anomalous nature and energy levels that are found sort of accompanying the phenomena. Right. Yeah. I mean, you can download people. You can actually download EMF meters on your phones. Yeah. And they're not necessarily developed just for paranormal investigation. Like we live in a world that has a, because of technology, there are a lot of electromagnetic forces that are being emitted. And a lot of people are very sensitive to that. Yeah. Like you can feel that in your body whenever you enter into one. And so you can actually download EMF meters on your phone. Um, and so these aren't just... Yeah, you know. that's actually what uh, people uh, in the field before Ed and Lorraine Warren, when they talked about the body being the best tool for paranormal investigation, yeah. it was because of the way the body reacts to those uh, anomalous fields. Yeah. So, so basically, that's a little bit how we do investigation. Obviously, we, we, we don't use occult tools. Right. Um, we use the tools that the church has traditionally used throughout its history. Sacramentals, um, prayer, the liturgies, right? That's basically how the church has dealt right. with a lot of these things. Um, so that's those are the tools that we use as Christian investigators. And we can't help but do this because of the ministry that we've been given, right? right. Like, again, pastoral ministry is a ministry uh, where you are having to deal with these types of things. So, um, so yeah, so that's uh, – and we can make use of, of modern scientific tools, which do help us to – to understand this type of phenomena better as well. Right. And, and so the the paranormals really went into sort of a distorted dark age with paganism right now where before there were clear Christian roots with uh Christian demonology and then now it's almost you can't look at the paranormal field today and it 
and see what it looked like back in Ed and Lorraine Warren's time. I mean, it's that distorted. A lot of the serious investigators, people that still hold on to those uh, tenets of the field, have gone really underground and away from the, the public side of things. I mean, the paranormal's turned into pop culture, thrill-seeking, or straight-up occult paganism. And that's what happens whenever you abandon the lordship of Christ right. over an area that belongs to the church. <laughs> there is a vacuum that happens, and then whenever the vacuum comes... The pagans either feel it, and the Travel Channel feels it. What yeah, are the exactly? One <laughs> right. or the other, and so that's why it's important for the church to uh, to step back into this sphere, this sphere, and um, to do that. And I, we have the worldview to do that. And I think what we're the work we're doing is majorly important. We're really taking back the paranormal field, this field of study, and putting it back through the proper Christian perspective. Right. Yeah. And you know we have. You know, we've talked about the Divine Council, Deuteronomy 32 worldview and all that. And that worldview gives us the biblical worldview to understand and to interpret a lot of this phenomenon. Right. right? And to, to theorize about it. And so, um, so yeah, anyway, that's kind of how we, we approach some of this stuff. Um, you know, it's like with Point Pleasant. You know, whenever we went to Point Pleasant, uh, you know, Greg and Dana Newkirk went to Point Pleasant and was in a lot of the same areas that we were at. And they were doing, you know ritualistic activity and a lot of it right and are using tarot cards and while we're there investigating the same place uh we're not doing that that kind of thing we're not using those types of tools right we're using things like prayer sacramentals and a lot of that type of thing so uh yeah just kind of a compare and contrast (laughs) right yeah yeah so anyway all right so that leads us to our i mean the paranormal is not i mean it's not we're saying saying like every christian should run into the field and become no. a paranormal investigator. No, no like absolutely. I mean, I I still wouldn't advise anybody to take this on, like as even like a hobby. It, no. It's definitely something that will be dropped into your lap if you're meant to be on in this realm on this walk, to st- to be a part of this field. It it'll be placed in your life in such a way that you can't get out of it. Yeah, I think that for people who are in ministry, um, you know, that's it's that's probably going to end up being a part of your calling. Um, but like for the modern everyday person like layman right. like that's definitely not going to be what you're into like i would say that you're one of those rare exceptions to the rules kind of like an ed warren in some ways like you're one of those people who lived this type of lifestyle and then not only did you live this type of lifestyle but you ended up getting into the paranormal and researching it and understanding the tactics of the enemy and understanding the tools that the yeah. the, the pagans and the darkness was using and you came into the light right <clears throat> So you're one of those rare exceptions where, like, you know, this is a guy who who come out of this. He understands this world. He understands the enemy. He understands his tactics. And so, you know, he has – so, yeah. So you're one of those rare exceptions, I would say. I mean, the field itself is absolute, is, is just dangerous in general. Yeah. I mean, apart from uh, the hazards in the field and things like that, the, the spiritual war- warfare that comes from – sort of opening these doors and doing this work and engaging with these spiritual forces. I mean, it's something that follows you the rest of your life. Yeah, and, you know, that's, you know, there's a reason why, you know, the Apostle Paul, you know, talks about that if you, you know, uh, like only some of you should be in the work of ministry. You know, only some of you should be overseers. You know, there's a reason why people like Charles Spurgeon said, if you can be anything other than a minister, like, I recommend right. you do it. And that's what I have to say about the paranormal. Yeah. If you can be anything other than a paranormal investigator or yeah. do anything other than work in the paranormal field, please do it. Yeah. You know, it's there. there's a lot of spiritual warfare that does come with it. And, 
like there's a lot of spiritual warfare that comes from just talking about this type right. of stuff too, you know, like, um, again, it's true. The, the demonic, the, the spiritual beings behind this, th- this stuff, they notice the people that notice that pay attention to them, that notice them. Yeah, that's right. And, uh, you know, like even in this, this kind of community that we're a part of right now, which is kind of this Christian community that's talking about a lot of these things like Dr. Mike Heiser and even the guys at Blurry Creatures and some of the other people. Like, if you've been following a lot of these places really recently, they've had a lot of spiritual warfare. Yeah. You know, Dr. Heiser's had cancer. And, you know, the guys from Blurry Creatures there for a little bit here not too long ago were talking about where they kind of had to, you know, take, take a step back in some ways because they, they were experiencing a lot of spiritual warfare. And you'll I'm, find that. I've, I've found that in my walk in the paranormal field, yeah. that there's just seasons that to where you're you're on the journey, you're, in, you're on mission, you're doing the work, and then you'll get backlash from the darkness and seasons of spiritual warfare that you just have to kind of just endure, but it's definitely part of it. Yeah, we, we I mean, we kind of had that season even with Dark Holler there for a while. Well, we kind of had to take a step back from it. You know, when yeah, we I talk- was going to say, I don't know how much you want to touch on that, but, I mean, yeah. we've, personally, in our personal lives, we've had a lot yeah, it's it's a part spiritual of spiritual warfare. Yep. It's definitely a part of it. Yeah, it's, it's definitely a part of it. Uh, whenever you're exposing the darkness and the lies of the enemy and the tactics, you can expect to, there to be warfare. Like that's that's a part of it. Like you don't just, I mean, think of it. I mean, just with an earthly example, like you don't get to experience, you don't get to expose the tactics of your enemy. Um, right. without you don't being get to run up and kick the hornet's nest and expect not to be stung. Yeah. I mean, that's that's what's going to happen. Yeah, that's that's what happens. So. Um, so yeah, so that's yeah. I think that's the end of that section. <laughs> I think it could be said much better than that. So all right, so let's talk twenty twenty two, Richie. Um, again, I can't believe that this is twenty twenty two is already just around the corner. I know it. Um, so this year we really got things rolling with Sword and Staff, right? I mean, w- back in twenty twenty though, I mean, we were talking about this stuff behind the scenes for a long yeah. time. But I mean, pretty much the whole we year. We literally laid the groundwork yeah. that year. Yeah, and then we launched that in uh, Sword and Staff in twenty twenty one. So moving forward with in twenty twenty two, what are some of the plans that we've got? I really think that twenty twenty was uh, laying the foundations. 2021 was sort of getting the the categories and avenues in place, and 2022 is really boots on the ground, taking this uh, this work, this ministry, things like that into the field. Yeah. Okay. So we're going to be doing some more field work in 2022, getting A out lot there, more field work, right? Exploring some of this stuff, and um, so some of that's going to get turned into a project that Ward from dark holler he is going to be yep. helping us turn that into it and as of right now tentatively we're just calling that weird west virginia right <laughs> hashtag sort weird of a west placeholder virginia. yeah right. it's uh, you know how whenever people are like <clears throat> band i used to be in a band like whenever bands are writing uh you know uh albums they kind of come up with like a code name for them you know kind of secretive name and uh same thing with movies you know, like with Marvel movies, it's like Project Whatever. It's kind of like that's what this is right now. Right. That hashtag sort of just kind of showed up on one of our posts early yeah. on. and mm-hmm. Stuck. Kinda, yeah, stuck. Yeah, stuck. So that's one thing we're going to be doing. We're going to be kind of diving into the deep weird of West Virginia. Right. And I think that a lot of the weirdness that manifests itself in strange ways, not just in Point Pleasant, but even in places like Flatwoods, even in places like Logan, West Virginia, is the result of a geographical principality right. over this area. That's the point uh, of the series, to highlight yeah, the high strangeness. To highlight the high strangeness right. and then narratively connect it back to this type of thing. 
and there's not really anything else like that no. out there. And so, um, I mean, it's sort of like the anti-Hellier. It's the undoing yeah. of Hellier. It's refocusing the phenomena through the correct lens. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, it's it's looking at a lot of the same phenomena, but yeah, it re- instead of uh, us in a cave somewhere in Kentucky, yeah. invoking Pam. Yeah. Uh, I don't think we're going to be doing that. What, I mean, yeah, we're not going to be doing that. Uh, so, so anyway, uh, so that's one of the things that we've got coming up. Um, and another thing that we've been talking about is launching a, a website for right. Sword and Staff. Um, and so because of our patrons, we, we make you know enough money to be able to, to pay for a website. And we think that it would be a good idea to, to have a website to become the, the hub for Sword and Staff. And so one of the things that we want to do is, you know, over, over the past couple of years, we've had blogs at different places, right? We had one at Medium starting off. And then we had one uh, where we kind of sent as newsletters from Substack. Um, but we want to create a place where we can just – that can serve as a home. Right. For, we don't want to have – the home stuff, of Sword and Staff. The home right. of Sword and Staff. We don't want to have stuff scattered across different platforms. We want to have our own to put stuff into. So we want a place to, to be home to our blog because we like to write. And we want to write more. But we also want a place to where you can just come and get the podcast in one place. Yeah, to leave the legacy of Sword and Staff, our yeah. research, our work, yeah, everything. So, so we want to do that. <clears throat> and so that's why we're thinking that we're going to do a website. And we've also talked about maybe creating a kind of uh, community there as well and maybe right. migrating off of some of the social media stuff. Um, we're going to keep Patreon and that kind of stuff. You know, no worries. Yeah, but, I saw there was a, an act, a push in uh, the Sword and Staff Facebook group where uh, some of our patrons are wanting to take on an expedition to Skinwalker Ranch. <laughs> Did yeah. you see that? <laughs> no, I didn't see that. I missed yeah. that. Um, so anyway, so we're talking about maybe creating like a you know a forum for patrons or you know that kind of thing or a community for patrons. That way that like um, there can be something kind of there behind the scenes, you know, on the Sword and Staff website for people to be a part of. So we're, we're, that's some of the ideas that we've got so right. far. So uh, 2022, we're going to dive further into that. and uh, uh, Launching a YouTube channel. Yeah, yeah, which we've already, we actually already have channels on YouTube right now, but they only go out to our patrons. Right, yeah. <laughs> like we they uh, like last week we, we released a video version, and we're going to do that this week too with uh, the video that we, we have right now. Um, so right now we, we release those to patrons, but we're going to put more content out there that we can release everywhere else as well. So YouTube channel and, yeah, we also have talked about off and on uh, doing a yearly conference, yeah, Sword and Staff Con. Yeah, Sword and Staff Con. Sword and Staff Con. And so um, maybe in 22 that will become a thing, especially with all the you know crazy COVID stuff seeming to – not, I mean, I've not heard, I don't know, I don't watch the news either, so maybe I shouldn't say that. Um, but maybe Sword and Staff Con will be a thing in 2022. And, uh, yeah, if you guys would be interested in that, let us let us know. Um, maybe we'll hold that live. Maybe we'll do it online. I don't know. But those are some of the things that we're thinking for 2022, other than our weekly episodes. So Right. <clears throat> should be fun. Be a lot of fun. Well, Richie, we're coming in at almost an hour and a half. And so I wasn't expecting this chin wag to be so dense, but it was. Uh, felt like that it was really good, though. So before we sign off today, is there anything else you want to talk about? Um, not that I can think of right offhand. Okay. Well, I think that that's it. So next week, 
next week we're going to be releasing the episode on the Flatwoods Monster. Right. So stay tuned for that. Um, we've I think that we've got all of our podcasts planned out for the rest of the year. Yep. So we're going to start working on 2022 <laughs> coming up too. So, but anyway, guys, we hope that you're excited for the journey. We're excited about it. And, and patrons need to pay attention. We're going to be uh, uploading some behind-the-scenes videos, things like that that are exclusive to Patreon, especially over the coming months. So Yeah, yeah, going to be a lot, lot of patron-only content being dropped on our Patreon. And so we've been getting more and more active with that anyway. Yeah. Uh, we've been releasing the episodes early since we've had it. Right, and um, that people in our Patreon community talk about wanting to help us work cases and want to be a part of the research and this is how you do it yeah being a part of that patreon so if you're interested in that and if you want to become a patron head on over to www.patreon.com backslash sword staff order get the sword and staff uncut for just five dollars a month there's also other tiers out there as well if we do a sword and staff con if you end up giving a little bit more <laughs> per month then you get the conference for free if we decide to do that so uh also we do, we do have some merch we've not put it out there that's another thing about the website that we're thinking about doing is putting our merch store out there so that people can actually buy merch and it's easy to find so right just the idea of sword and staff conference is just it's epic to me i mean all the people that are in our sort of extended field that we're in uh, other podcasts other researchers just to get everybody in one place yeah that would be sweet that'd be awesome yeah that'd be really awesome so all right well so i think that about wraps it up for today's episode thank you guys so much for listening and uh patrons be on the lookout for this episode and some probably some bonus content coming your way this week so appreciate you guys listening and we'll see you next week see you then